This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste, they'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Alison, hello, how are you doing? Hey, I'm all right, thank you. How about you? I'm pretty good, pretty, pretty good, as as I always am whenever we get the chance to talk and do one of these episodes. But I want to cut to the chase, and I think this is your influence rubbing off on me. Oh what I want to know is, what are you cooking at the moment? What are your kind of kitchen projects? Oh, my kitchen project at the moment is I'm trying to... So we were talking about waffles at work, and mm. uh, a couple of people have got waffle makers. I've got a... I've got like a Hong Kong style waffle maker that we Ooh. kind of, and I've been trying to recreate the waffles that we had as a kid. So they're slightly different to kind of normal square waffles. You put like custard powder yeah. in and corn flour. Oh, wow. So they're kind of slightly sweeter than, yeah, they're just great. But I've, I've nearly got there. We've had a, a few practice runs and uh, <laughs> no, so it's been a good excuse to go down memory lane yeah. and try and get kind of the bubbles are kind of perfect bite size pieces to just break off of kind of crispy chewy waffles mm. so it's great yeah i've i've seen these they're a bit of an instagram sensation mm. now aren't they and um so you used to eat these when you were growing up obviously you spent yeah. your childhood in hong kong which is um always fascinating for me i always want to know more about this like what so talk me through it when would you eat them so we'd eat them after school they'd be hawkers on street corners and Without telling our parents, that's what we'd be doing. We'd just buy buy them. They'd be in a paper bag, and you'd eat them. It was either that or fish balls and, and that kind of thing. So, but the the waffles um, often had like a sweet peanut butter type butter, oh, nice. kind of butter and peanut butter spread on it, and sandwiched together or plain. Oh, they sound amazing! And uh, the sort of thing that kind of takes you back to that moment and the hawker market and the sights and the sounds. I can imagine. And uh, handily enough, I'm now just thinking um it's it's pretty good for our guests that we've got on this episode because we have got uh heston blumenthal who is of course well known for his kind of scientific approach to flavor and his kind of innovative way with uh with food he is also of course the chef and mastermind of the fat duck in bray which is a hugely acclaimed and decorated restaurant which among many many other accolades is one of the few places to get a 10 out of 10 perfect score 
with the Good Food Guide. He's also been um, working with us at Waitrose since 2010. We've got his range of products, the Heston from Waitrose products that we've been selling for the last, what's it, 11 years. He used to do a regular set of recipes for us that were on TV. So um, I'm really looking forward to just catching up and hearing what he's been up yeah, to. He's one of the gang. It's going to just be like a casual Zoom meeting with uh, <laughs> with one of the world's uh, greatest uh, chefs. Um, yeah, there, there's so much to cover with him. He has got an uh, uh, incredible mind and an incredible story. So why don't we get on with it? Here is our conversation with Heston Blumenthal. Heston Blumenthal, thank you so much for uh, joining us. You are in a quite a picturesque uh, setup there. You're in the south of France, as I understand it, which maybe is quite a surprising location for a lot of people that followed your career and, and, and wondering how you ended up there. Um, what's the story behind it? Uh, several reasons. I, I sort of, in some respects, I've come back full circle. So I'm 15 minutes from the restaurant that inspired me to cook. Wow. Wow. Uh, when I sort of say that, when, at the moment I had this, I, I fell down a multi-sensory rabbit hole into mm. this gastronomic wonderland is one way of saying it. And yeah. it's about 15 minutes from uh, San Saimi, where Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, however you want to pronounce his name, <laughs> uh, where his hospice was, where he cut his ear off. So there was a wow. lot of painters in this area, from Picasso to Jean Cocteau, from Cezanne, Cezanne, many of them. One of the reasons is because there's something quite special about the light here. Mm. It has... The highest, apparently, I don't, I don't know how they measure these, but apparently has the highest level, level of gamma rays in the world along with somewhere in um, the Himalayas, which is the gamma yeah. rays, the fastest sun ray, um, okay. ray from the sun. So it's very bright. Also, you've got this wind called the Mistral, which if you look at Van Gogh's paintings, all the swirly stuff in the paintings, really the Mistral. So what it does do is it blows all the pollen away and the clouds. So if you you put up the with the wind, but you get the unbelievably clear air. Also, the rock here is bauxite, yeah. and um, the restaurant that inspired me to cook was in, is in a village called Les Beaux, B A U X, which is bauxite. And this limestone bauxite rock is very porous. It's very reflective. So I'm here because of. Um, my love for France. I'm here because it's the place that started inspired me to cook in the first place. I'm here because of the underground water and the history of the connection of water. The village I'm in was called Land of Water, and I'm looking at the role of water in our lives, which, which I mean, it is our lives effectively, yeah, and yeah. how water can change its structure depending on the energy it's subjected to. Well, I can I can sense a, a tempting rabbit hole to dive down and join you oh, down. But um, just hearing you talk there, it was really interesting because you're talking about artists and you're talking about sort of sensory pleasure and these beautiful kind of unexplained phenomena. But then you're also talking about the scientific explanation for them. And that seems to to chime with your approach and your sensibility throughout your cooking career and the way that you've uh, married kind of deliciousness and that kind of primal pleasure of eating with why things get to be that tasty and how you can 
perfect things and you know search for perfection was one of your first tv shows did you always have that kind of in you or was there a trigger for 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 having that inquisitiveness I don't remember, not saying that I didn't have it, but I don't remember having it until I had this moment in the in this restaurant down the road. I think it was because I grew up, I grew up in the 70s, food was, food was, uh, well, let's say, very different Amazing. to what it is. In, yeah. <laughs> you certainly, in Britain, you certainly wouldn't have said that. In fact, I'm at uh, Jacques Chirac, said in the uh, G7 summit meeting when England and, well, it was a, a week to two weeks before London and Paris were fighting it out for the Olympics. And I don't, mm. you, don't know if you remember this. He said, Britain has the worst food in Europe, second only to Finland. Now, no offense to any Finnish people, but I took great offense to that. Mm. And uh, he clearly hadn't been to the UK for a very long time. But in the 70s, you could sort of see why, how, what, you know, why somebody from France would say that because yeah. you, you couldn't even buy olive oil uh, from a supermarket. You bought it from a chemist because you poured it in yeah. your ears yeah. for, the, for, for some reason. <laughs> it was olive oil. You used olive oil for, for blocked ears, not for cooking. Yeah. And um, so I grew up, my mum was, uh, was a good cook. She cooked classic sort of seventies dishes. What type of things would they be? A chicken ala king and cacciatore and yeah. uh, maybe coronation chicken. I've just mentioned three chicken chicken dishes. <laughs> things like cod and butter sauce out of a bag. Oh, oh yeah, uh, but also uh, would have you know fish fingers and cod in batter. But I had never eaten an oyster. I didn't know what a fine, let's call it fine dining gastronomic mm-hmm. restaurant was. Mm-hmm. I had no concept of, a, of, a, of the Michelin Guide. And we used to go to Cornwall for our holidays. And one year we went to France and my parents read about this three Michelin star restaurants. So I had the same first time experience as they did, myself and my sister. So there I was in front, in approaching this restaurant in this incredible, beautiful valley, bauxite rock. And the, that valley is where a guy called Raymond Trillier in 1947, I think it was 47, 48, he was mid 40s, insurance salesman, gave it all up, self taught, opened a restaurant, and 10 years later, got three Michelin stars. And he, he basically, basically put a sort of label on the map. And so I went with my folks and I remember we pulled up in the car and there's a man with a moustache that sort of that, that, that parked the car for you. And then you walked up Wonderful. these little stairs and the old guy, Monsieur Trier, was the chef was sitting there and the chef writes by one of his paintings. And then you sat on this, we sat on this terrace. There was a sommelier with a handlebar moustache and a leather apron. <laughs> the wine list was like a, a billboard, the cheese trolley the size of a chariot. They were pouring <laughs> sauces into souffles and carving legs of lamb at the table and the chink of the glasses. <laughs> and I, that's when I've fallen down. I fell down my multi-sensory rabbit hole. And yeah, that's when yeah. cooking got under my skin and in my blood. Do you remember what you got served that day? Do you remember what you ate? Yes, it was red mullet starter, mm-hmm. salad of red mullet, sort of Alan Alan was, uh, which was sort of tomato, basil, olive oil, and lemon, and then it was a gigot of lamb en croute. So it was a leg of baby lamb stuffed with its kidney, wrapped in par pastry, served wow. with gratin, dauphinoise, and green beans, and then crepe bourmonier. 
that seems like quite adventurous for a 15-year-old. Were you quite open to trying new things at that point? What was the young Heston like in terms of adventurousness? That's great. No one's ever asked me that before. It's a great question. I went through a big period when I was younger of not liking Brussels sprouts, but they were really overcooked Brussels sprouts. Is there any food now that you don't like? Yes, there are several things I absolutely don't like. And I've norm- normally they've been discovered through my TV shows. Yes. And Jay, who I do the podcast with, who is brilliant. We've been tra- we've traveled the world together. And I got to the point, I said to him, Jay, because he's like, go and eat that. I said, I'll, I'll eat anything in front of the camera if you have a mouthful behind the camera. <laughs> but it didn't take him very long to sort of fall short on that. But we... A couple of visits to Iceland, oh, there was something called scatter, which is skate. So the ammonia, then it, it, it preserves the flesh. Right, it, wow. It tastes of ammonia. Oh, dear. And I no. was on a, a fishing boat like this, and it, the first time in my life, it's like my throat took a life of its own, took on a life of its own. It said, no, there's no way, this is going down, Hester. And it just like catapulted the whole thing out of my mouth. So, um, and have you seen those tinned food, the tinned fish that sometimes expands like a balloon? They have it in Finland as well. Right, no, uh, I've not seen this. Oh, no, oh, oh, my, if you me. can get a hold, I've, I've challenged uh, Jay on the podcast, <laughs> which he hated me for. But we, it's, we get sent people, listeners, it's fantastic, send foods in. So I said, well, right. let's send the most, because there, there's no food inherently or intrinsically disgusting, because if it, is, if it were, mm. it wouldn't be a food. It's just our culture, what, what we yeah. what we grow up in. Our, well, our, our flavour preferences about our culture, but yes. they're also yeah. very personal. Uh, we, there's, I think there's some really unpleasant things in the post coming to us. Wow. So you actually put a call out, did you? <laughs> Your podcast, this is for um, Journey to the Centre of Food, which I have to massively congratulate you on. I listened to a couple of episodes and absolutely loved it. And you mentioned tuna. I think the one I listened to, you were exploring counterintuitive or to our minds, flavour pairings, like things that, that you wouldn't think that go together, that do go together. And you were talking about parsley and banana. And I think, was it tuna and Nutella? That was an accident. That was my youngest daughter. I made her a sandwich and she wanted like a starter make or sandwich. White white bread, two slices cut in half. So one was basically a tuna with a bit of mayo and butter. Mm -hmm. And the other one was Nutella. And then cut them in quarters. There were two halves, each half cut into quarters. She piled them up. I think she was just playing around with them a bit like Lego. And then took a bite of the two together. And I'm thinking... Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and she was too young to say, actually, taste it. Uh, this is this is really rather nice. I mean, she might have been five years old or something, but she quite liked it. So I thought, well, I might as well have a try. Bizarrely, it works. It, well, wow. well, when I say it works, it worked for me then. I, you haven't I, tried I, it I, recently. I haven't yeah, tried it recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One listener wrote in, It we were talking about... Um, uh, sandwiches and dunking and cheese sandwich dipped in di- dipped in coffee Ooh. or dipped in tea. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was, was my reaction. So we basically, I made a cup of tea and a cup of coffee and we had a cheese sandwich and dunked it. It's in tea. It's in black tea. Is it good? Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, it all seems like this whole idea of 
speaking to the child in all of us and keeping that kind of childish curiosity and things yes. that that aren't proper or aren't right. And this is, you know, from from you know the fat duck. Like I think initially, what you did with it wasn't recognisable as what you're known for now, was it? When you first took it over and it was this no. kind of pub, um, and so it was, you know, you you had this sense of trying different things and something some things haven't changed <laughs> <laughs> so you've not calmed down in that sense no no not at all things are outside us change but also we change if we experience something new it can that can then remold our memory i remember once in the cereal the cereal boxes we were serving Having a food like a variety pack, a cereal or a Christmas cracker or a picnic, I've done this on my TV shows, mm. or Sound yeah. of the Sea, we can all connect to the object. So let's say you put an object on the table and it's a teacup or it's a mug or it's a particular pen or a pencil that you can connect to. We'll all connect to the object. So we're sharing the object, but we've all got our own unique relationship with that object in yeah. terms of our memory and what, and what, and what things it, it conjures up. And that for me is a wonderful, what can be a wonderful way to start discussion. So when you start discussion and then you can remember something that, that you did when you were young, I always choose the end of a pencil or I dip mine in <laughs> cheese or whatever it might be. I love it when you then remember something you'd forgotten. And Michael McIntyre, for example, does a brilliant job at this. He's talking about bits of human behavior. You watch it and you think, oh, yes, I do that. I didn't even realize or I've forgotten. So being able to trigger those memories, but they changed. So we had these twins. They came, it was a birthday mm. celebration. Mm. And part of the play on this, you get these six packs of variety pack of cereal, but in the boxes, it's savory and the bowl of milk isn't milk. It's a, it's a bacon and egg Toast, delicate in the French. It always sounds. It always sounds more delicate in French. Jelly, <laughs> jelly. And then you pour the cereal on top of the bowl, and in the cereal packet, it's got some little games on it because that's yeah. what you re I remember playing games like there's a kid. There's a play on the the, the variety. I love the variety packs. Most people mm. did. It was a real treat. Yeah. But unless you got the all brand, <laughs> twin said, oh, I always ended up with the all brand. And the other twin said, you've stolen my memory. <laughs> wow. So it's just the way that the, the yeah. way that memory and, and the importance in every, in everything that we do. So I, I believe our perspective on life on everything on life and a perspective with ourselves has the potential to continually change. Mm. It knows no bounds. Obviously you relaunched the Fat Duck and just hearing you talk about giving people that personalized experience. Um, does that all spin out from that relaunch? Well, actually, before then, uh, that was the the reimagining of the restaurant was the, probably the biggest single change that we made. Mm. But it's a manifestation of maybe fifteen to twenty years before then, and there were some pivotal dishes. So the crab ice cream led me to was the first dish where I realised you just change the name and it can change the perception just by changing the name. My God, hang on a second! If that, if just a name change, how many other things? <laughs> I've tried, I mean, hundreds. I could write, I could write several books on this subject, 
put your, taste something with your left leg forward, put your right leg right. forward. Does it taste different? <laughs> Stick his hand in the air. You know, uh, it's easy with drinks because you can make the comparison after sip after sip. Where mm. if you've got a plate of a soups work as well, or milkshakes, for example, but. When you've got um, a plate of food that you might have a protein and different vegetables yeah. and sauce on, each spoonful won't be exactly the same as the one before. It's more, it's, it, oh. it's more subtle. So when I put the sound of the sea on, that was a really, for me, a game-changing dish. And this is the dish that where the iPod in the conch, which is an absolute classic and is, is still on the menu in, in it's a still on the menu. form. And on that, people started crying. They were crying out of the tears were really joyous ones. It took them to a place. That soundtrack occupied a wonderful place in their memory. I thought, never before in my life, if I thought a dish that I did, somebody would cry Mm. in a positive way over eating that plate of food. I just can't think of a more powerful emotional reward than that. But then I realized, what happens if you could then tailor make the soundtrack for people? Because, Mm. you know, your particular memory might be waves crashing on a pebbled beach with a foghorn on the background and eagles. And somebody else's might be just a gentle uh, wave lapping on an island, a sandy island. So that was the trigger that well, I need to, try. if we can personalize, if you can find, if we can just do it one for one person on the table, mm. mm-hmm. where, you know, the movie Ratatouille, that moment where the food critic goes back, has that back to the future moment. He's the Ratatouille and he gets sucked back to his childhood, sitting in the chair in the kitchen with his mom, with his legs swinging under the table. And just, he just lost himself in it. So that became my drive. And when I first told my team about it, I've had this quite a lot in the past where I'm trying to explain something and I'm looking at the faces looking back at me (laughs) and I'm expecting big, excited grins. Instead, they've gone like ghostly white with the jaws hit the floor. And I'm thinking, hmm, and this is not... I, I, I thought this was going to be a bit more motivating than this. I can so imagine. Was, <laughs> I can absolutely imagine. Yeah. But what what our plan is now for after we we I don't we won't necessarily get this by the mid. We open the duck on the eighteenth eighteenth of May, but within the next two months, our plan is for your one of the things we're going to add on your booking, because it's better if you. I, I was thinking about this rather than telling people. If you can give people the opportunity to trigger their curiosity and through their own curiosity, they have their own discovery, they have their own adventure, they take ownership as opposed to like the education system, which is you're just being told. You're not paid to think, you're just, you know, you're a sponge. And, um, and if you could have a graphic equalizer when you do your booking, which will be your seascape. So you know that you're tailor-making your, because it might be that at that moment in time, you think, oh, that, what happens if I turn the, that crashing down a little bit and make it a bit more lapping? Let's put a seagull on, and that takes me to Cornwall. I don't want to be there. Maybe it's a motor. So you can play around with your uh, soundscape, so then you get that with the food. But the, the technology to be able to do it uh, through a website, so then you get that on your 
headphones has taken a long time. <laughs> have you, but you must have, yeah, you've earned that right now that when you have an idea like this or you want to try something and like, you know, you're in, yeah. you're in France uh, studying the properties of water. Yeah. So like when you've got one of these rabbit holes beckons, you can yeah. kind of bound down it and people will follow you. Do you then have to sort of, police your own kind of ideas or notions or do you kind of brilliant point yes i have to police my own i, I have to slow down sometimes i'm not saying mm. i'm faster than anybody else but i have to slow mm. down but also in my dot joining so mm. i've found the connection between uh breast milk umami oxytocin short chain fatty acids oligosaccharides lactates and uh, mental wellness. I've, found, I've joined these dots. So, but if I throw that out to somebody, no, they don't know what I'm talking about. The most amazing thing is here that here in the was my office development mm. kitchen, yeah. the where we've done the the rice experiments, which were inspired by a, a guy called Professor Imoto, um, who died a couple of years ago. We've done some work with his long term assistant. You can see Imuto's rice experiment has followed it where you take three jars of rice. So take some rice, take some water, put the, mix them all out and then split them into three. Three jars, same jars, sterilized jars, and then just put them in a line. And every morning give one love and gratitude. But you have to have, the important thing here is you have to believe in it. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you say the words and don't believe the the if the intent the intent behind the words the the, the 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 is the most important. You give one uh, love and gratitude. The other one, useless idiot, stupid, and the third <laughs> one, you ignore. Mm-hmm. Now we've done it twelve times now and had the same result each time. The jar of rice that's been have had the positive affirmation or the positive intentions stays fairly clear. Sometimes the water goes slightly um, golden. Mm-hmm. If you smell it, it's like a fresh cheese, but slightly honeyed, slightly floral. The one that's been given the abuse goes like a, an overripe cheese, mm-hmm. but the one that's been ignored rots, stinks, it rots. Wow. <laughs> and in Muto's point is if water can do this, to food or you could, emotions can do this to food for mm. things through water. What do they do to ourselves? Because our, it, it, the same thing, we are, if we carry around stress, we have an inflammation of our system. You've mentioned that idea of words, scaring people and kind of, it is yeah. that kind of thing that you're right. The, the logic follows there's, there's a lot of yeah. uh, longstanding study on that. But as you say that, you must have encountered a lot of skepticism of all forms throughout your career. And oh my word! <laughs> so, how do you combat that when people just don't, you know, and and not just in that sense, but even in something as oh, you you can't have crab ice cream or you can't put that flavour with that. Thing. Yeah, the Heinz Head to my pub in next to the Fat Duck in Bray. There's a fireplace mm. there, and it's got in gold leaf a phrase mm-hmm. above the fireplace, and the phrase is must have been there for 300 plus years mm. and i've walked past it thousands and thousands of times and only in the last sort of year or so did i realize that it's value mm. and it says fear knocked on the door faith answered and no one was there now replace faith with basically belief we all have fear we might say oh yes we have no we, we need you need fear you need you need 
stress to be able to to do something with. When the stress becomes, when it's something that you can't overcome, then it, then it becomes damaging. But a little bit yeah. of stress, a little bit of fear, a little bit of unique, it's like, uh, the Joker didn't exist. Batman wouldn't be, be able to put on his cool Lycra and go yeah. to his Batcave and drive his cool car. <laughs> so thanks to the Joker, you've got Batman. So we do need yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. You, if, it, if it, you know, you appreciate the rain when it's just been sunny so long or, or vice versa. That saying, I had a belief. Now, that I would then naturally ask, the question would be, well, what, what was your belief? I'm, fo- I'm still following it. And it's, it's the exploration of our relationship with food from an from a evolutionary point of view, from a current point of view, but most importantly, from my point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, you're always coming up with ideas and, and that. How do, you, how do you channel them into new dishes and how do you know when it's right to retire a dish? Um, when I think, I mean, lots of dishes have been on the menu for several years. And are they always the same? No, no, like never, never. Uh, when, well, when I say never, when a dish has stayed on for a period of time of, of several months, yeah. then without a change and a, without a tweak, then we normally take it off. And what I wanted to do on the, on the wall upstairs in the Fat Duck was have, I, th- I think it might have been Monsters, Inc., where they're walking down a passageway a corridor and there's these picture frames of great grandpapa old bear and the, the, the <laughs> mum says if it wasn't for your old granddaddy bear rowing over in 19 whatever you wouldn't be here today so those dishes like the, the crab risotto and stuff i wanted to put on a, a wall of fame which had a little story behind them but mm-hmm. the interesting thing is i've re i'm rethinking that because if you look at the sound of the sea yeah, the dish evolves, but so you also evolve. Mm. So especially if you can then tweak your personalization for the dish. So the dish then changes. So who's changing the dish? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's an it's a, it's a, <laughs> interesting, a really interesting thing. Uh, when, you're, when you're cooking at home, um, when you're cooking for your family and your kids, can you turn that sensibility off? Can you kind of turn off that kind of um, inquisitive mind and analytical side of yourself yeah yes well i mean i might still have an idea it might it might be i remember slicing a leek once um and wondering if the leek tasted any different one two millimeters above the root or a centimeter or two centimeters above God, was that having that uh, that internal dialogue because when recipes say use the white or green of a leek <laughs> Okay, let's taste the white, taste the green. I can see the green is more bitter and tougher, but it doesn't just go from green to white. It's that like gradual bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what, 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 what I've just what got bit, this so, vision of your like partner being like, uh, have you chopped those leeks yet? And you're kind of still sort oh, yeah. of shouting oh, from I, the I, other I, room. Yeah. I'm, I'm better when I have less ingredients because you just the more... it doesn't help because I've got my ADHD goes mad Mm. (laughs) I'll just think I'll buy stuff to make potentially 200 dishes actually if you just give me five ingredients then yeah I can, I can, that makes it easier for me. Is there an ingredient that you always, a kind of an everyday ingredient that's always in your, your store cupboards at home? Yeah, there's a few. <clears throat> I, I mean, the obvious ones are salt and pepper, but I, but that, that's, I, I'd say that what very useful ingredients are mustard and vinegar. They're very, very useful. A little bit of Dijon mustard and some white wine vinegar. Mm. Just, I think, 
But you think about acidity like salt. You put you put acidity, it could be a bit of soup or anything really. A few drops of vinegar and a little bit of mustard. I mean, I've got a batch of other stuff, but I say I, I say as a an advice for somebody at home, a little bit of salt, a little bit of mustard and a little bit of white wine vinegar added to many dishes makes a difference. Yeah, makes a massive difference. And what, what do you eat as a family? Because you've got a small child still at home. Do you eat together? Well, or? we used to. I wanted to try and get back at, at, at because Shay's um, three years old. So there is a sort of witching hour with kids around about seven. This, uh, everything seems to get a little bit fractious. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, oh, yes. So it, you know about that, <laughs> don't you, Jimmy? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So sometimes... Yeah, those hours would... can get, you know, the range of those hours can get bigger and bigger sometimes. Like, you're like, oh, wow, it's starting at starting at four o'clock. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the moon's playing up. Something, something's <laughs> in the air. One of the other things that I really enjoyed about the episode of your podcast that I listened to was you did this incredible experiment with um, wine and with tasting, and it kind of skirts around some of the things you're talking about. How does it work? I, I'm eager to try it. Yeah, okay, there's there, uh, there's about well, there's there's several dozens of them, but the two or three that for you guys to have a go at is have a glass of red wine and write on a piece of paper the word wine, but in rounded letters. So there's no sharp edges to imagine like they're made from like, mm. a, you know, kids, uh, the bal- balloons for kids parties. So it's really rounded letters. And on the other side of the piece of paper, write wine in where well, there's no round edges, completely sharp, jaggedy edges. Being able to um, even understand what the letters are is less relevant than the shape of the font. With the hand you would normally sip with, have a look at, wine written in the rounded letters, have a sip. And then immediately you don't, don't need to put the glass down, flip the page over and look at the sharp letters. When you see the sharp letters, the wine is noticeably sharper. It's more bitter, more closed. Mm. And you think, this is bizarre. It's not really because language came in terms of human evolution, language evolved as a form of sort of expression of body movement. So we use the word sharp you, like a piece of music can be sharp, lemon juice can be sharp, a knife mm. can be sharp. So there's that one. Probably one of the most, for me, one of the most uh, profound discoveries I made was probably two, three years ago now, where, again, take the glass of wine, keep the same hand, because it is like, for many people, it tastes different to the left from the left to the right. Oh, wow, really? I think if you, <laughs> if you, if you drink with any hand, mm. there's less difference. But if you would... Always automatically pick up the glass of wine with your left hand, let's say. If you try and then taste it and swap it in the right hand, it becomes can become more closed and, 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 and sharp. But do you pick this glass of wine up? Before you have the first sip, close your eyes and picture someone or something that fills you with absolute love. Complete, wonderful, warm, positive emotions. Uh, you can't think anything negative. Have a sip. Uh, don't put the glass of wine down. But then... Pretty quickly afterwards, close your eyes and think of someone or something that fills us with negative emotions. There's a jealousy, anger, frustration, rage, rejection. There's many, many names and we've all mm. had them, um, yeah. even if we've, we've dealt with them in the past. Yeah. But 
picture mm. that person and have a sip. It's like a different wine. And the yeah. same thing, if you play Camilla Bruna, Lefortuna, Le the, the old spice advert, basically, <laughs> uh, or the dance of the sugar plum fairy from the Nutcracker Suite, when they have mm. the, the bit where they have the chimes, same hand. Yeah. Completely yeah, changes yeah. the taste of wine. So, oh, yeah, we cover a lot of experiments like that in yeah. the podcast. And yeah. we talk about revolting foods and we, <laughs> we, have, we have these really sort of, they're just some, some silliness around delving deeper into ingredients. No, it's, it's a fascinating deep dive and uh, you go into all sorts of different worlds of not just kind of flavor, but history and science. And, it, and it's, it's absolutely great for anyone who sort of uh, has enjoyed this kind of little insight into your world. Brilliant, thank you. You've, um, you've talked as well about you know, the busyness of your mind. And you mentioned there about being diagnosed with ADHD. Yes. How did that change things for you? It was only about five, six, seven years ago. And I wondered why I had my head and was very sensitive to temperature. So right. remember, we do this on the podcast. Jay said, this is probably the worst superhero strength that you, that you can imagine. <laughs> I could, I, I meditate a lot now. So I mm. think it was actually... My, my head is less sensitive, sensitive right. to heat than before, but I could tell a temperature of a room between 18 and say 24 degrees. I could tell you what the temperature was by what my head did in terms of wow. perspiration. <laughs> and it wasn't exactly very helpful. I didn't want to be feeling very hot and sweaty. And I thought, only my head. And I thought, I've got, I know I have a busy head, but I, I don't know if my head's any busier than anyone else's. And then I was looking at, from an evolutionary point of view, food, the brain is 2% of our body weight, uh, 25% of our blood and 60% of our glucose. And this brain-gut connection, which I'm so, so fascinated in, I thought, well, if you have a, maybe brain's both an organ and a muscle. So if you, if, if, it would make sense that if you go to the gym and train your biceps, for example, or you get hot, goes red. Maybe this got something to do with that. And then a friend of mine said to me once, we were talking about something, and he said, have you ever thought you might have ADHD? And I said, how can I, doesn't, I, I don't see how I can have ADHD because how can I focus so much for so long on a subject he said, that's classic ADHD. You're not interested <laughs> until you discover something and then you, you hyper-focus on it. Right. Yeah. So I went and got diagnosed. I had to, I've had ECGs and EEGs and, and tested my hormone levels and done the multiple choice test. And I got fairly full on ADHD. Yeah. Now, that, that's not, it's just part of who I am. Everyone's on the spectrum, whether mm. it's autism or, you know, just, it just different. It's like a graphic equalizer. Yeah. So it helped because it helped me understand more about myself. So I, I, I'm, I don't like being late. Never have mm. done. But I was late, but not because I just sit at home looking at the clock, thinking I don't need to. I don't need to. Uh, um, let's wait. There'll be no traffic. No, I'd leave the house three or four times. Then I'd mm. run back in again, run upstairs to look for something. Come down with a whole handful of stuff, including a watch that I'd lost six months before, and then forgot what I went up there for in the first place. Yeah, it, it, it's hopefully very worthwhile for any people that that you know that that have had a diagnosis or have felt like you know yeah. they haven't 
um, experience life in that something that, that it can be channeled in the sort of way that you have. Yes. I'd like to ask you, you kind of joined Waitrose in 2010 and started working with us. Over the years, you've launched loads of different Heston from Waitrose products. Have you got any favorites? Uh, no, there's, there's so, there, there's so many. There, there were, there were some, there were products that were before their time, like the Ponzu sauce ponzu dressing which, oh, uh, which yeah. was a fantastic product the chicken liver parfait that oh took several years and that's still available now that's still available now i mean there's oh there's tons there's tons the one that get always amuses me because it wasn't until we launched it that it yeah. was the burgers with the mints in the right direct in the same direction uh, and- all the mints you take all the mints to come through the same direction yeah and then you cut it how can i explain this to for you so imagine or look at your forearm put your forearm out look at your forearm and you've got your hand on the end of the forearm stretch your fingers out yeah the muscle fibers basically run along the bone in the, like your like your fingers do yeah right. so if you slice not down onto the bone. It's probably sounding quite painful if you look at your hand. <laughs> yeah, you have to measure grisly, leg, yeah. leg of lamb. Make sure it's a leg of lamb. <laughs> leg don't mistake your, lamb, your hand. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people are going to suddenly be uh, vegetarians. <laughs> so you've cut a slice parallel to the bone. Then you're biting like your fingers. You're having to bite through the fibers. If you cut down onto the bone and then take those slices off, then turn them, you, you're now biting down onto the fibers so, that, so it opens up. So just by the way that you carve a piece of meat can make it seem more tender. Heston Blumenthal, it's been amazing to talk to you and just really dive into the expanded possibilities of what we can do with food and flavor. Um, it's been amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been great to be on, great to be on. Thank you. You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavy, and our guest, Heston Blumenthal. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast, and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.